This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football Bowl Betting Preview Part 5. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. What's going on, Colin? You ready for the end of bowl season? or, or are you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, these bowls have been, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to be one of those people that sits back and complains about how the officiating has been bad or the win, post-win expectancy has just not gone in my favor. This is what I know. I'm beating the market and it's not paying off and that's no big deal. It's just how bowl season goes. Yeah, I'm ready for the season to be over. I'm, I'm excited for the <laughs> national title. I've had about thir- like 20, 25 just ridiculous bad beats and pick sixes and i mean but last year i had a ton go my way so mm-hmm. i mean it was an evening out season for me in college football but i mean my last straw it kind of broke me i mean i can't remember the last time i had a back door this year but brewer getting hurt for baylor um but yeah, yeah whatever that happens the, the florida state was just they do a they do a i've plus four and a half they closed three and then they're up in the fourth quarter at, at an illegal fair catch signal so they have to start the ball at the two, and then they obviously throw a pick six. And then, they, you know, I'm still fine if Arizona State doesn't get the two-point conversion. And, of course, uh, they get the two-point conversion somehow, breaking like 17 tackles. So that game was just uh, vicious. I mean, yesterday for me was probably Alabama-Michigan because I was comfortable cruising with the under. I got that early touchdown there uh, from from Alabama. The the Judy 85-yarder was happy to live bet the under again because I just felt like it was going to be a different pace game. And then the live bets came in, the Michigan plus 10.5, the Michigan plus 14.5. And and I'm feeling pretty good because Michigan was keeping it close the entire time. It looked like that they could have – I mean, they were leading at halftime, right? And so for Saban just to jab it in there when he easily could have taken a knee to end the game, I mean, blew everybody, anybody that had a live bet or live total or, I mean, that was just an asshole move. I mean, that was a say, I don't know what's going with the beef between Saban and Harbaugh is, but you could have taken a knee. And next thing you know, out here is, uh, you know, Shea Patterson spiking the ball with one second left to get a playoff down by what, 16, 19 point. I mean, it's just, I think, I think the lesson learned, because I mean, there's, there's a lesson taken from each one of these bulls is don't make a high-dollar investment. Now, the national championship is going to be a little bit different, and the semifinal was a little bit different, but I just there's not going to be any more you know higher-than-normal unit investments for me coming out of bowl season because these things have been true exhibitions. Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, I'm on the same page with you. I mean, the, and the officiating has been so bad. I mean, I'm I'm sitting there watching the, that Baylor Georgia game yesterday. That first half, I mean, there was just some atrocious calls. But whatever, mm-hmm. I digress. Um, today we touch on the FCS game. But we'll, we have a couple bowls left in bowl season. Next week we may do a podcast on the college football national championship 
we may not. More news to come there. We're definitely going to do a live show. So we'll have a live podcast from Westgate Superbook. We'll have it. We'll do a show there. So we might do a podcast in addition to that. I'm not sure yet. We'll figure it out. But speaking of, before we get to this interview, I spoke with John Murray um, from the Westgate Superbook, a friend of the podcast, about the college football semifinals, how they did there, where the money is coming in, and his thoughts on the line for LSU Clemson. Also, what the book needs this weekend uh, in the NFL uh, for wildcard weekend. So we went through all four games. Um, It's about a 20 to 25 minute interview, which I think was very insightful. We even talked about teasers. And last year when I was in Vegas, the NFL playoffs, no one would let me bet a teaser. So we go through whether or not (laughs) I'll be allowed to bet teasers this year. You were Um, were so shocked. I'll never forget your face. You were were so upset, like, about this whole I can't bet a teaser thing. Like, you were just running around. I'm like, it's the fucking NFL playoffs. This is Las Vegas. (laughs) And no sportsbook would take a fucking teaser. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, They were just like, we're not doing teasers today. I'm like, this isn't like the preseason. This is the NFL division round what do you mean you're not doing teasers today um yeah we 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 talk about that as well but i we we got our nfl podcast up yesterday it actually went up this morning we recorded it yesterday so i had to work through that and didn't have any money on oregon wisconsin but i initially potentially wanted to bet on oregon because i thought it was more of a coin flip but from what i saw and what i've read is that that was a brutal beat if you had Wisconsin. I didn't see almost any of the game. So can you, what, what happened in that game? I did have Wisconsin in that game. Um, I had them uh, pick on open and then uh, bought a little uh, when it was at two and a half, four turnovers uh, on the Oregon side. I mean, they, it was so outrageous to where Oregon's Wisconsin's or Oregon's office didn't do anything, right? Like for most of the, or, not really. I mean, I think they were, they barely got over 200 yards on the very last play of the game on the, on the last run for Herbert there. Uh, you know, Herbert was essentially Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Wisconsin did not account for him taking off out of the pocket. He was the extra guy that they didn't account for when, uh, you know, there was a drop back passing situation. And that's how they scrapped most of the yards. That's how they got most of their points. Wisconsin literally fielded, uh, took the snap on a punt. And instead of dropping it to your foot, which you do, which like a six-year-old does to try to punt the ball, literally the punter just threw it on the turf it was picked up with one hand by Oregon and ran into the end zone. So, I mean, that was one example of how Oregon scored their points. So, yeah, a whole bunch of turnovers there that were just outrageous. And a, a terrible, a terrible offensive pass interference called that, uh, you know, is being memed everywhere for Paul Chris. But, uh, I mean, they, they tried to explain it every which way about how you could basically have a pick play, uh, but you can't hit him straight in the, in the numbers with your head. It was it was the, the explanation was was a farce. Uh, the officiating was a farce. But you know what? The the gambling gods give and they take because I had Justin Ross just the other day, uh, which I thought made a catch, maybe not make a football move, but drop the ball on the turf and Ohio State got points wiped off the board. So these things happen with gambling. But I mean, with Wisconsin backers, I was right there with you. Now, I was happy to shave uh, to live bet for a unit, you know, an Oregon unit when it got up around five and a half because uh, I knew that this was going to be a three point ball game. But uh you know, hats off to to Oregon and, and Crystal Bowl and what they're doing with recruiting and winning this game. But uh, Wisconsin had it the entire time. They had some really bad calls. Uh, they had a couple special team mishaps that got Oregon to the to the window. All right. So joining us now, as I said before, is John Murray from the Westgate Superbook out in Las Vegas. Uh, friend of the pod. What's going on, John? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. How's it going? Getting ready here for NFL playoffs. You know, bowls yeah. are winding down. There's only a couple eh, ones left, so that's kind of sad. But you know, the national championship should be awesome. We'll get to that in a second. But let's first focus on 
the college football playoff semifinals. How did you guys mm-hmm. make out and what were your just overall general thoughts on both games? You know, we did better than I think uh, maybe we should have. We kind of got lucky. We had some big house players betting Ohio State on the money line. We had so many parlays that went to the over in that game, talking about the Fiesta Bowl. We took a pretty big loss on, on the Peach Bowl. Everybody bet LSU. Everybody bet the over. But so much of the parlay action went to over in the Clemson-Ohio State game. So that, stay, that game staying under was huge for us. It seemed like everybody that bet Clemson parlayed Clemson to the over. And everybody that bet Ohio State had played Ohio State on the money line. If Clemson had won that game 24-23 to 23 with a field goal there on that last drive, it would have been the biggest win I've ever seen at this book on a, on a non-Super Bowl ever. Uh, it, it, the number was like comical because all the Ohio State betters were taking the, were taking the money line. Yeah, I mean, and it looks like for a while that was exactly what was going to happen, which was interesting. Now, yeah. looking at that game just from, you know, the eye test, right? The, the thing that I took away from it is, whoa, LSU, I mean, seven touchdowns in the first half. They easily could have had touchdowns on every single drive of the game. And then you look at Clemson, yeah. and we knew how good they were. We know how good Ohio State was. But when you watch that game, do you, did you come, across, come away and say, you know, Ohio State sh- maybe should have won that game with a few calls here, a few drops there? So just from your eye test, were you less impressed with Clemson than you thought? Because it was Clemson's first real test of the year. I completely agree with what you said about the drops. I mean, everybody's blaming the refs, and I, and I didn't agree with the overturn call of the, the scoop and score. I thought that was a bad call. But really, Ohio State left too many points on the board in the first half. You know, J.K. Dobbins dropped that one screen pass. They had a perfectly called screen pass. He was going to walk into the end zone. He dropped that. They had to settle for a field goal. He had another play where he dropped the ball that probably should have been a touchdown. You know, Ohio State could have been up 24 to nothing, 28 to nothing instead of 16 to nothing. They left too many points on the board in the first half, and I think that's why Clemson ultimately escaped. I didn't really have a problem with the other calls. Uh, the, the targeting call, I didn't really have a problem with that call. And then the, certainly the roughing the punter, that was roughing the punter. So if Ohio State wants to blame anyone, they should blame the kid that roughed the Clemson punter. Uh, I don't know how you blame the ref for that call. But ultimately, to me, Clemson and Ohio State were both kind of what I thought they were. I mean, it was a, it was a dogfight between two really, really outstanding teams. And I think Ohio State's clearly the best team of the college football playoff era that didn't get to the national championship game. We just had three really outstanding teams this year. And unfortunately for Ohio State, it looks like they, they might have peaked in the wrong year. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, just just those two Dobbins drops, that's eight That's an eight, eight extra points for Ohio State, right? They get that. They yeah. probably win the game. And Dobbins also got caught somehow. I don't know how that happened. He got caught from behind, yeah. and then they Great ended up – point. And then that, that's, that ends up being 60 nothing instead of, you know, potentially 20 to 20 nothing, And it's a whole different ball game then. Absolutely. And I was really impressed with Akuda, the, the Ohio State corner, and just the Ohio State secondary in general. I was so impressed with them. They manhandled those Clemson receivers. T. Higgins, Justin Ross, those guys are first-round picks in their own right. They got manhandled in that game. They couldn't do anything. I, I thought Trevor Lawrence was, was sensational in that game. To, to be able to move the ball down the field against Ohio State's defense – when you're getting basically nothing from your wide receivers. Your wide receivers aren't getting any separation. They're not making any plays for you. For him to still go down the field and score those touchdowns to win the game, I can't say enough about how, much, how highly I think of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, you're right. You barely heard those receivers' names throughout the no. game. Um, I think Akuda's going to be a special corner at the next level. As oh, he yeah. recently, yeah, he recently declared for the draft as well. So, you know, this is one of the most interesting things that I think that I've seen – in you know almost you know 15 20 years of doing this is the over i've never seen an overreaction or an over adjustment right, let people it out. that i trust numbers this and just the market the in week. general 
obviously, I think that there's overreaction square money in the market. But from where this line would have been a couple weeks ago to where it is now for the national championship of LSU minus five, five and a half, you know, yeah. maybe a month ago, Clemson is a, is a small favorite here. And all Clemson's done is continue to cover. They've covered for two months straight. But, you know, LSU does what they did in the college football semifinal. You can expect there to be some overreaction. But talk to me about where you opened this line, what type of money you have seen since, and where you expect it to go. Well, for starters, I agree with you. I think the number's an overreaction. You know, we, we've had Clemson a little bit better than LSU the whole way. I thought they were about three points better than LSU going into the weekend. Now, I understand this game is in the Superdome, so there was always going to be a couple points going LSU's way there. The the de facto, the home field advantage for, for LSU in this game. I still think this real, the real number is closer to pick them or maybe LSU a very small favorite. And I think it's a total overreaction to, to what we saw over the weekend. Because like I said, Clemson played an historically great Ohio State team. This is probably the best team the Big Ten's produced in the last decade. And LSU played an Oklahoma team that really had no business being in the college football playoff that was only there because they had to fill out a field of four teams and some of the SEC teams choked at the end of the year. I think it's a total overreaction. We opened at three and a half. We immediately went to four. We had a guy come in. He laid 50000 at minus four. We went to four and a half. The money just kept coming in, nothing but LSU money. We got up to – I think we got as high as five and a half briefly. We came back down to five. There was a lot of six on the market in town a couple days ago, but it looks like some sharper players bought up that six – most everybody seems to be at five or five and a half right now. And I actually think if anything, it might come down a little bit. The only way I think this number could go up is if all the favorites cover divisional playoff weekend next weekend in the NFL, so many parlays are going to roll from those divisional playoff games into LSU on Monday night. You might see some books panic when they see their liability to the LSU Tigers in that game. And then they might raise the number up. But you don't think that there's a sh- any shot. There's so much LSU money that there's no shot this thing comes even below four. I mean, I could see it maybe getting the four, but I, I mean, if you're, I, 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 if you're someone who wants product. LSU minus three, you're never going to get that, right, pretty much? I don't, I don't think there's any way you'll see three. I, I don't, I, even four, there's just so much support for LSU, man. I mean, I know, I think we're, we're kind of on exactly the same page in how we view this game and how we view the, the market overreaction, but the bottom line is that all the big money so far is coming in on LSU. We've got about a four-to-one ticket count on LSU right now, which is pretty lopsided for a game of this magnitude. And then the other thing, at least at our book, we win a huge number on Clemson to win the national championship in the futures pool. So we're okay writing a little bit of money on Clemson right now because we're gonna, even if we take a big bet on, on the Clemson side, we're still going to win a ton if they win this game. So we don't really see much of a reason to lower the number, at least not right now. So, and then in regards to the total, anything there early? Uh, mostly under bets on the total right now. We're at 70. We had opened it, I, I think we opened it 71 right when we first put this thing up. We went to 70 and a half. We're now at 70. I don't really have a strong, uh, strong take. I mean, I, that feels like about as high as it could ever be. And it's funny to me to see totals like that in, in the national championship game and see a total of 70. But we, we really liked the Peach Bowl over, and we booked it like that because we didn't see how we didn't see how either team or how – Oklahoma could ever stop LSU from scoring, and we thought Oklahoma would be able to score too. But Clemson's a, a much different beast defensively. I, I don't think that these LSU receivers are just going to be running wide open all over the field against Clemson the way they were against Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, LSU realistically could have scored, what, 100 points if that game was competitive? I mean, I've, I mean that was... It, it really reminded me of those early season games when these SEC schools play some layup game against some FCS team, and they're, they're, it's not even like 
a challenge for them. That's what it looked like. It, it was an embarrassing performance for Oklahoma and for the Big 12 because I agree with you. If Oklahoma could have matched them score for score, I don't see why LSU couldn't have scored 100 points. Yeah, it was crazy. And and, and the thing that I think most a lot of people aren't talking about is in future years, and you should keep this in mind for, for you know futures betting, is that's a black eye for the Big 12. So if you have a college football scenario next year, whether you have a Big 12 team and then someone else on the fringe, what we've seen out of the Big 12, a conference that I think that the committee has already, you know, doesn't really love, and then they look back at this performance, I think that that can, you know, it's, they're, they're humans on the committee. It could sway a Big 12 team right out of the discussion. I don't disagree with that. And, you know, Oklahoma's 0-4 in the college football playoff now, really only one of those four games were they competitive, talking about that Rose Bowl loss to Georgia a couple years ago. And then previous to that, they lost their last three BCS championship games, so seven straight losses in national championship scenarios for Oklahoma. That doesn't reflect well on the Big 12 at all because Oklahoma is obviously the, the flagship program in the Big 12, and it's a bad look. And, and Baylor getting handled pretty easily by Georgia in the Sugar Bowl when Georgia was sitting several players, let's say. That's, that also really isn't a good look for the Big 12. Yep, yep, completely agree. Um, all right, let's pivot before we get you out of here to the NFL this weekend sure. for Wild Card Weekend. We'll start on Saturday. Texans, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Bills. And then, you know, you want to talk about overreactions, potentially. The Patriots are only a four, four-and-a-half-point favorite. This line, you know, a few weeks yeah. ago, you might have seen this be seven. It, I feel like the Patriots are always a seven-point favorite at home um, in the playoffs. But we, last time you were on the pod, we were talking about, wow, the book needs the Cowboys against the Rams and the Cowboys – I was on as well. I came through. Is there a, a chance that the book is going to need the the Patriots here against the uh, Ryan Tannehill in his first playoff start? What, what are you seeing in both of those games, AFC games on Saturday? It's possible we might we might be need New England for a little bit in the side market, but anytime New England loses outright, it knocks out so many money line parlays. So my guess would be that by the time the game kicks off, our best case scenario would be the Titans winning the game outright just to knock out those parlays. I don't think it's going to be a really big decision, though, because there is a lot of support for Tennessee, too. People don't trust New England right now. New England offense has been struggling for weeks. I've talked about that many times. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think Tennessee's got a pretty big edge at the quarterback position in this game. I just think that Belichick is always capable of having one of those masterpiece games where he totally outcoaches the other guy. And maybe it sets up like that on, on Saturday night here. I, would, I personally would definitely need more than five or five and a half points to bet on Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. I don't trust this Patriots team as far as I can throw them. I mean, Brady has looked awful all year. I mean, this is a guy who's yeah. completing 35% of his passes under pressure, worse than the NFL. I would agree. I need a maybe six or seven to look at Tennessee. But the dream scenario is the Patriots, you know, in the rain, get a couple breaks, put together a great game plan, and then they roll. And then people start thinking New England's back because I think that the, the funeral of their era might be next weekend in Kansas City. Yeah, the only thing is, like, I uh, – that's what I said last year going into the AFC Championship game. And uh, all of our guys here, we loved the Chiefs in that game. And uh, Brady just puts together this throwback performance, and they, they somehow win in Arrowhead. So, I'm But at least you saw that. glimpses of Brady last year. Yeah. I mean, there, is, there has been – he's a shell of himself. I don't know if he's hurt or it's just – he's just – the age is showing. But, uh, you know, Father Time is undefeated. But there's, there's just something yeah. that's completely off of this offense. It, 
his wide receivers are doing him no favors, by the way. True. I, mean, I know everybody says all I do is crap on Brady, and Brady's been really bad this year, but his receivers are getting no separation. They're, they're doing nothing to help him at all, and he is an aging quarterback, so he doesn't have the ability to just will the ball down the field by himself. He needs his receivers to help him out, as most quarterbacks do, and, and he's just getting nothing from his teammates on the offensive side of the ball this year. So it's not all on, on Tom Brady, and I'm really – I'm kind of baffled that I keep reading about Josh McDaniels getting all these head coaching interviews or, and, and I just don't understand why I don't like the new England offense doesn't seem to be doing anything that every, every team in the league couldn't do. Yeah. There's nothing innovative about what they're doing. And yeah, I agree with no. you. I mean, the offensive line isn't as good. They clearly no. miss Gronk. Um, and then, yep. you know, there's a reason that they had Antonio Brown and, and Josh Gordon in there early in the year who they don't have now. You know, they obviously knew that they needed more talent at the receiving position, which they don't have now. All right, and then the other game, anything in Bill's Texans, or you think that'll be pretty split? It's really going to be a split game. Right now the ticket count's basically exactly even. We did have a guy we respect came in a couple of days ago. He played Houston minus 2.5, minus 110 to win 30,000. He moved us to minus 2.5, minus 120. Buffalo looks like a good teaser option, a relatively low total. You can go over three, over seven, tease the Bills up to plus eight and a half. It's an interesting game. It really is. I, to me, it's a total coin flip game. I give Buffalo the edge at every position other than quarterback and wide receiver. But I, and a big edge, Sean McDermott over Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Really, yeah, I'm not a big fan of O'Brien at all. So a better defense, a better coach. You're getting a couple of points of Buffalo. The concern is Josh Allen. He's a 23-year-old kid. He's in his first playoff start. What are you going to get out of Josh Allen? I feel like we get flashes from him where sometimes I think to myself, this guy is going to be a really good NFL quarterback. Like on Thanksgiving Day, he looked great in that game. Other times, I just think to myself, what the hell is this kid doing out there? I don't know how – I wouldn't be too comfortable back in Buffalo unless you do it in a teaser and you get over that touchdown. Yeah, I mean, that's that's. – I'm glad you brought that up in our NFL pod. I brought that up. I said, look – well, I have a the much better quarterback at home laying under a field goal, but, mm. you know, the defense is clearly not as good. And then I keep going back to that coaching mismatch that, you know, that McDermott – McDermott and his staff, I just value so much more over Bill O'Brien and his staff. Um, and you good mentioned point. teasers. Uh, well, last year when I was in Vegas for the divisional round, there was two, you know, with, and I've, as I've talked about on our podcast for Wong teasers where you can tease – you know, one and a half to two and a half point dogs up over the seven and or, and or seven and a half to eight and a half point favorites down. And I went yeah. to six books that did not let me bet a teaser, uh, a Wong <laughs> teaser. And the NFL playoffs, they just said, nope, we are not taking <laughs> we are not taking teasers today. I said, what do you mean you're not taking teasers today? Well, what what um, does that tell you if you're listening to the show? What, what does that tell you about those teasers? Yeah, they're – I, I, I always good bets. Yeah, you have the, you have bets. an edge in in a vacuum. Yeah. You have an edge over the book. They hit about seventy five percent of the time, and you need them to hit about seventy two and a half percent to break even at minus one ten. Some a lot of places now go to minus one twenty, um, where it's mm -hmm. about a break even proposition. But yeah, so but you guys are taking teasers this weekend. We take teasers, but I'll tell you right now, we, we got big juice attached to them, and and I'll and I'll I'll be even more frank. The reason why is because we lost to people doing those teasers over the course of several years. Those are, I mean, I think those are good bets, and there's three of them this week. Yep. New Orleans right now is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. You can go down to one-and-a-half, and Philadelphia is a one-and-a-half-point dog. I actually like Philadelphia to win that game, but I'd be even more comfortable with a teaser getting them up to plus seven-and-a-half. So, yes, we do take the bets, but we juice the hell out of you for them because we are well aware that they are good bets that are probably going to return you value long-term, and 
if you have a book that lets you do them at minus 110, I'm talking about six pointers, I would certainly recommend that you do that. Yeah, I've already done that one Sunday with uh, New Orleans and Philly, over seven and a half of the New Orleans under three. So let's move on to yeah, Sunday here. I like here. that a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's just, I wish I had also something on Saturday that I could tease uh, the Bills with, but it's four and a half uh, for anyone listening. I really wouldn't recommend that. It's, I mean, you're not, don't tease through the zero. No, ever, it's but. very, very different teasing through, because if you tease the Titans up, you're not going through that key number three. It's, it doesn't have the same value as teasing Philadelphia up or teasing Buffalo up. Yep, completely agree. Um, all right, so let's just quickly talk about those games on Sunday. Yep. We have New Orleans, eight-point favorite, over under 49 and a half. It looks like some over money has hit the market all week. And then Philadelphia, this line at some random offshore shops opened at a three-point dog. Uh, and Seattle, I'm talking about, opened a three-point dog. That quickly moved. A lot of other places I heard they opened that, yeah. right around a pick or minus one. Um, Seattle's now minus one and a half. I don't know if this is true, but the narrative that I've heard on Twitter, through other people, through the grapevine, is people are betting this Seattle game and, and betting on the Seahawks like they already know the final score. Is that true? And what are your thoughts on the two games on Sunday? Well, first, the, the Minnesota-New Orleans game, we're going to need Minnesota pretty big in that game. Every parlay, every teaser is going to go to the Saints. We'll need the game to go under two. We did have a guy we respect. He bet 30000 on Minnesota plus eight knocked us down to seven and a half but I wouldn't be surprised if that number drifted up a little bit between now and Sunday because all the public players are going to bet the Saints if that was the late game talking about the 140 Pacific game then I would definitely expect the number to go closer to 10 because every parlay from the whole weekend would go to New Orleans but because it's in that 10 a.m. slot all the parlays are going to go to Seattle in the late game the same way they all went to the Bears last week on this weekend the books are going to need Philadelphia huge, and you're absolutely right. Whatever you heard on Twitter is true. Everyone's betting Seattle like crazy. It's almost a 10-to-1 ticket count here at the Westgate wow. Superbook. And it was just like this the first time they played. If you remember that game, Seattle was a small dog. Everybody bet Seattle like crazy. They went off favorite in that game. They won the game on the road in Philadelphia. The main thing in this game for me, though, is the injury report. Keeping an eye, there's so many good players on both teams that are questionable. Dwayne Brown's questionable for Seattle. Zach Ertz is questionable for Philadelphia you got to keep an eye on the injury report here, but I think Philadelphia finds a way to win this game. The only thing that terrifies me is the late touchdown drive from Russell Wilson. The man is just terrifying if you have money against him. You might be better off having a teaser to the Eagles there. I think you'll feel a little safer when Russell Wilson inevitably has the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game. Yeah, especially against that secondary, and you're right. I mean, I have a couple bets on this game already, and it's Seattle. It's Philly teased to seven and a half. And I also have Philly uh, plus a half for small in the first half. And I looked at it. I'm like, you know what? These bets are just completely correlated with my fear of Russell Wilson late. Um, <laughs> I don't so. blame you. How could you not be afraid of that guy? They, they, they got completely robbed on Sunday night. Uh, I don't know what the hell that was. Or, or Seattle will be playing Minnesota right now. We'll be talking about different matchups. But if you're not afraid of Russell Wilson, uh, you haven't been paying much attention to the NFL this year. Yep. Um, and then – yeah, just just very quickly here, NFL futures market. What happens if the Ravens win it all? Is there one team that you really don't want it to win? Don't want to win, or is there one team where it would be the ideal scenario? You know, the Ravens are our best case scenario in the whole pool. Uh, we win a we win a tremendous number on Baltimore. We do lose on them in the conference, but we win so much on them in the Super Bowl that we'd be fine with seeing them get to the Super Bowl. I also just think it'd be nice to have new blood in the Super Bowl. Baltimore or Kansas City would be great to see. Yeah. The only team that we really lose to right now, well, we lose to Seattle, but I don't think they really have any chance to win. We also lose to New England, 
but overall we, we have a, we're in a really good position in the future book. And I'd love to see new Orleans play either Baltimore or Kansas city. I think it'd be a great right game. A lot of high profile quarterbacks involved. Uh, that's, that's kind of a matchup we're looking for is new Orleans to come out of the NFC and play the winner of what should be a great AFC championship game between Kansas city and the Ravens. I'm surprised you don't, you wouldn't lose even a little on Kansas city for people that took them over the last month with the odds out there yeah. generally implying that they wouldn't have a buy and then a buy falling into their lap somehow, you know, at what, two, 3% chance going into the final. Well, what, Sunday. Happened, so what happened with us was they bet new England going into last week. One guy bet 15,000 at eight to one. Another guy bet 10,000 at seven to one. Obviously those gentlemen were thinking they were going to have the buy. Yeah. So it was more. It was more people betting on the Patriots. We did take one uh, pretty big bet. We bet the guy bet thirty thousand on Green Bay at twelve to one. That was a few days ago. We are a small loser to Green Bay in the pool. I don't think Green Bay is going to get by New Orleans, but I've been wrong about Green Bay all year, so don't listen to me. Yeah, I mean, if you're uh, Green Bay, I've I have a Green Bay. My only preseason future was Green Bay eighteen to one, and I I think they stink, but. Look, they got to buy, and uh, I want—I just want snow. They I want been lizards. The one and, seed. Yeah, they should have been somehow. They should have been the they, one seed. I mean, really, I thought they got kind of robbed there. I don't—I don't think Green Bay is any good, honestly. But if they call pass interference there, which they should have, Green Bay is probably the number one seed going into the postseason. So what do I know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you still got Rodgers, and you still have the potential for blizzards. Like if I want—if I want the Packers and the Saints playing in Lambeau against that Saints team, give me three feet of snow. Um, oh, no doubt, no doubt. So that's uh, really what the only thing I'm really banking on. But uh, thanks for joining us, John. I'll catch you next weekend uh, for the national championship. We'll be in town, so looking forward to catching up. But uh, thanks for joining us, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and good luck this weekend. All right, thanks again to John for joining us. Based on you know what he said earlier, he doesn't envision, and you know, like us, he thinks that this line is obviously inflated. He doesn't envision this line ever getting below four. And I agree. I think it's going to stick in the four to six range. Colin, any updated thoughts on where this line may go or is it pretty dead here in a down a dead five yeah I, I think i will echo john and in, in, in the you know and what the point spread is going to do because i mean anytime it's going to hit six you're going to have your people that want to take clemson anytime you have four you're going to have people that are going to want to take lsu and, and so i don't expect any big traction in the line and and you're right there's going to be a lot of parlay liability on lsu depending on how the nfl goes with the divisional uh so that you know a lot of books are going to are probably going to be you have the number as it correlates to the number of parlays that they've got open as as the divisional rounds go in the NFL. So as far as a deep dive analysis on this game, I mean, we know that the number is inflated. Every math person in the world makes this Clemson anywhere from, you know, a pick to plus three. I don't think I've seen any math model out there, any projection system out there that says that LSU should absolutely be minus three and a half or higher. Uh, There is a trending uh, power rating that Sagarin actually uses. Sagarin has their own ratings that do FCS and FBS. I know we'll get into the FCS uh, championship uh, uh, at some time. But, uh, you know, they do have a trending uh, power rating that they use, and they actually make it LSU minus three and a half. And that's the highest I've ever seen this number. So, um, you know, that there's going to be – remember, let's – Let's define what value is here. There's going to be value in Clemson because the number more than likely, if there's no parlay activity, which these national championships always have, there's always futures involved. Each book is different. They've got open futures on LSU. They got open futures on Clemson. They've got parlay futures coming from the NFL. So each book is going to be different. But as far as the game itself and as far as the number itself, it's going to be value on Clemson, especially at the number of six. 
So, uh, you know, as far as a deep dive into both sides of the ball, we can we can tackle that the closer we get to the game. Yeah, well, I actually made it above, uh, slightly above three, but that's, as I said on our last podcast, I, that's after just bumps on bumps for no reason to LSU. So I tried so I wouldn't have to fade them again. But the line <laughs> is still higher than putting artificial bumps into the number on top of the bumps that I already put in. So I need a bump, I mean, on, I, I, I need a bump on top of the bump to get to the number this is. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've got an investment down on Clemson. It's not very big, and I've got a future on Clemson, it, you know, and it didn't pay okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I will say this. I have, I have combed uh, some uh, very advanced statistics through various places, and there are some great things that I'm finding about Clemson, and there are equally great things that I'm finding about LSU – Specifically, what I've been trying to figure out is if LSU's defense over the last few weeks since the John Reese Plum Lee game against Ole Miss, is this defense legit? And everything that I everything that I'm reading, it doesn't matter how you slice and dice every single minute that defense has been on the field. They're for real. So, I mean, does that mean that they should be six points higher than the reigning, you know, national championship and, uh, you know, a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence and a running back like Travis Etienne? We're going to find out. Yeah. I mean, the other the other part of this that I, I have trouble quantifying is the Clemson, you know, obviously all of their priors are great. And then all of their numbers this year are elite, but they didn't really play anybody. And then, you know, they beat an Ohio, a really good Ohio State team. My eye just said, look, this defense isn't as elite as last year. Now, it's only one game. So, like, how much can you take from it? But Dobbins getting caught from behind, dropping base mm-hmm. maybe two touchdowns. And everyone says, oh, it was the Clemson red zone defense. No, I mean, Dobbins dropped two passes, one on a, a – screen and one you know that got overturned when he was wide open i struggle with saying to myself "Eh, it didn't look as dominant but i got to remember how good this ohio state team was and that it's only one game so that's that's something that i'm struggling with with the clemson defense because everything all all year looked like the best defense and it rated out that way but the opponents were eh. i mean i know because the schedule didn't give us anything but what we do know is that isaiah simmons can play on the line in the linebackers and the secondary and he can adjust play to play a, a bubble screen uh buster uh, the guy has been amazing for Brad Venables, and he's the wild card on the uh, on the Clemson defense that's going to be able to blow up anything that LSU is trying to do. And, and, and you know, on the, on the flip side of the ball, LSU has two of the best corners. Uh, Grant Delpit is completely healthy. How does Dave Aranda attack what might be a Trevor Lawrence rush attack again? Or was that entire game uh, called against Ohio State to get Aranda to have one guy single out and spy on Trevor Lawrence? And that opens up one-on-one matchups, uh, you know, uh, for, for Trevor Lawrence to hit hopefully a healthy Higgins and a healthy Ross and a, and a healthy Rogers and uh, one-on-one coverage. So it's just going to be so fascinating. I mean, I, I could tell you that these are the, these are the best coaches – in college football and it's not halftime adjustments. I mean, we're sitting here talking about how this Boston college, it's only going to be a 10 minute halftime. And and that kind of favors Boston college's interim staff because then the other team can't make, you know, coaching adjustments against it. These guys for Clemson and LSU can make adjustments from play to play uh, and not just drive to drive or half to half, you know, after a half, I mean, play to play Venables, Brady, Insmager, an amazing set of NFL talent. that's going to be on the field. Yeah. I can't wait to watch the, uh, LSU offense versus the Clemson defense. Yeah, I mean, this is in New Orleans, which does, I think, a little bit benefit LSU. It's not like a true home feel, but there's definitely – It's going to be loud. I mean, that's loud anyways for Saints games, so you have to wonder if, you know, who's – maybe go back and do some research on silent counts or, uh, you know, who calling two plays at the line of scrimmage and, and, and maybe do some research on how Joe Brady and Trevor Lawrence have handled that before. Yeah, it should be uh, an interesting game that we'll dive into – much more in detail. And by the way, people, 
even if you lose a bet, if your favorite team is, you know, playing another team and you don't like the other quarterback, don't threaten people online. Like you have, I, I see Travis Etienne's mom is getting threat death threats from LSU fans because he's from Louisiana and then he had to choose Clemson or LSU and he chose Clemson. And now his mother is getting death threats. Come on. Anyway, um, let's move on to the remaining bowl games. We have three bowl games left, not counting the college football championship. We'll start on Friday afternoon with Ohio and Nevada. It's the last game, the second to last game. Three of the two of these games involve MAC teams, so I am not that thrilled about them. But uh, Ohio <laughs> is an eight-point favorite. Opened up at six. Eight-point favorite against Nevada. Over-under has risen up to 59. Something of note here. I mean, Nevada was atrocious all year. This team, they were just bad. I mean, they they just had a bunch of easy wins, and they would get blown out by any team with a pulse. And then there was a bunch of suspensions on the defensive side of the ball as well to note. What do you see here with Ohio and Nevada? Yeah, the number is almost correct. I mean, we make it nine. Uh, I think SP Plus makes it 10. So, you know, the number is still just short, but it's kind of sitting in a dead zone. So it's not like there's a lot of value on the Ohio number when it's sitting right there. But I do kind of expect it to rise. The defensive suspensions come in every single unit. So there's a a defensive tackle. uh, There's a linebacker. There's a corner. They're all going to miss because there was this. I don't know, this brush-up fight with UNLV, uh, just terrible way to end the season for both programs. Uh, and so that caused, uh, you know, a, a number of suspensions. And a few players for Nevada are actually going to have to sit the first game of the season next year. This is going to be Nathan Rourke, uh, quarterback for Ohio. It's going to be his last game with Frank Solich. Ohio, interesting enough, did not cover a single game at home in Athens this year. So it could be a good sign that they're hitting the road because they weren't very good at home, at least as far as covering the number. And like we mentioned, the UNLV brawl, uh, two of their top six tacklers are going to be missing. Uh, another one that's going to be missing was a, a key defensive tackle that's important to covering the Nathan Work RPO that he's going to run there for Ohio. Uh, you know, and, and then the other two big, you know, defenders that have been lost were a safety and a corner. Uh, so, you know, Rourke's going to be able to throw all day. It's hard for me to not see Ohio having an extremely high pace of scoring, especially considering their offense is 33rd in the nation and finishing drives. Nevada's outside the top 100 defensively in finishing drives. So whether you don't like Ohio in the, in the whole, uh, you know, dead number of eight or seven and a half, they're going to put points up. I can't see how they don't put points up. Nevada fired their defensive coordinator. So I, it, it's like one of the most dumpster fire sides of the ball of any team that's in a bowl that could, that could possibly be there right now. So that's, where I kind of lean. I'm not really sure, you know, how high scoring it's going to be. I mean, Ohio should score at will, but these are slow paced offenses. Ohio's 107th in seconds per play and Nevada's 80th in seconds per play. So it's not like they're extremely fast offenses and Nevada's not very efficient once they get past the 40 anyways. So all Ohio or nothing for me and maybe an Ohio team total over. Fair enough. And uh, let's move on to Saturday. We have uh, Tulane, a seven point favorite, the six and six green wave. Uh, they had a number of close losses on the air, taking on seven and five Southern Miss. Over under is ticked down to fifty six and a half. Pretty much stayed right in that range here. Uh, this is eleven thirty in the morning, I believe, on Saturday on ESPN in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, this line's pretty much just been sitting right on that touchdown number. What do you see here? 
Yeah, it's exactly where Action Network has it. We have it at 8 and 57, and we've just had no traction on this number whatsoever. So when we try to look at something that we can bet on in this game, this is an old-school rivalry. These two teams used to play each other every year. This is the battle for the bell. Uh, and Southern Miss on offense, they're just they're all pass. They they don't have any uh, rushing success to them whatsoever. They're 126 in rushing success, so you expect them to come out with Jack Abraham passing. The problem is, is he's a little risky and he's not very accurate. He has 18 TDs to 15 INT, uh, not a very good ratio. Tulane 67th in defensive havoc, and they're just 51st in passes defense. So really, Southern Miss is going to go only as far as Abraham can get him to throw. They are 35th in success rate and they're 25th in explosiveness. Uh, uh, that's kind of an area that, that Tulane could struggle in. Uh, defensively, they're 15th in passing success rate, the green wave are, but they're 126 in allowing explosive plays. So behind all those numbers, it says if Southern Myth is going to complete a pass, it could turn into a very large gain. Uh, Tulane's good at stopping the pass, but when the ones that they do allow to Southern Miss could result in a score, possibly. You know, Southern Miss is excellent at stopping the run. They're 36 in defensive rushing success rate. So Justin McMillan should be forced to throw the entire day, which is not really the the bread and butter of the Tulane offense. Um, and these are two completely completely different pace of play here. Like just they're not the same whatsoever. Southern Miss is outside the top 100 in seconds per play. Tulane is 38th in seconds per play. Uh, I The number is correct. The the total is correct. So, you know, it, it could be a thing where I play alive and try to get two side. You know, whoever dictates the pace is probably the team that's going to win the ball game. But, I mean, even when it comes down to finishing drives, I mean, the, some of the, the teams are outside the top 100 when Southern misses on offense and two lanes on defense. So it's really a tough one to handicap. These teams are extremely close. Uh, but the number does dictate that the, the spread should be seven or seven and a half. So I'll look to play alive. I, I doubt there'll be anything pregame for me. Yep, I completely agree with you there. Um, and then let's move on to Monday. We have, um, it's not Monday afternoon. Why? Why is this game not on Monday afternoon? It's Monday night, <laughs> 7.30 Eastern. Uh, we have our Raging Cajuns, the Louisiana Lafayette, ULL, La Lafayette, whatever you want to call them, uh, as a 14-point favorite against Miami of Ohio. Uh, this over-under is sitting at 54 and a half. You know, we know this Miami Ohio team pretty fortunate all year. Their offense is dreadful. Special teams were actually really good this year. They won them a bunch of MAC games, which is something to keep in mind. But Louisiana also has a pretty good special teams. Um, Miami of Ohio tries to rely on their defense to try and get them through. It's, good. it's tough for me to see them winning this game, but the line looks about right. Um, these last three games, the spread right around a key number and looks right about right to me. Uh, do you agree? Do you see anything here? The number is a little high for me. I mean, uh, I think I make it 11 and SP plus makes it 19. So there's a really wide gap about where we think this number should be. And that could be just a difference in how we value the Mac and a difference in how we value the Sun Belt. you know, because these are the two teams that conference champion for the Mac and the, and the runner up for, for the Sun Belt here. But in the box score, now uh, strength of schedule, you know, ULL 79th and my Ohio 68th. So there really isn't a really big difference uh, when you look at the numbers up against each other in the advanced stats. Uh, they had the same strength of schedule. So you can trust some of the numbers that we're seeing here. When you always have a Louisiana, a UL Lafayette game, you can trust the fact that they're going to be able to run and pass successfully. They're fourth in rushing success rate, 11th in passing success. They are uh, tremendous on offense, and they're really going to give Miami of Ohio problems on the 
ground. UL is going to be able to move the chains all day. They're going to be able to have explosive runs. Miami of Ohio, the Redhawks have actually been really good against pass explosiveness. They're top 15 in the nation against that. So Louisiana is definitely going to be able to get down the field. I think the biggest difference in this game is that ULL is 10th in finishing drives in the nation, and the Miami of Ohio defense is 82nd in uh, defensive finishing drives, which tells me they're going to be able. To, uh, the Cajuns are going to be able to put up points whenever they want. Uh, you know, whenever they get past the forty yard line, it's a different story for the Miami of Ohio offense. Uh, they are <laughs> pretty terrible at uh, getting points up on the board. Uh, they're one hundred twelfth offensively in finishing drives, and and ULL is top twenty defensively in stopping that. I mean, ULL can be torn up on the ground. Uh, that's one big area that App State's always been able to take advantage of. The Cajuns is on the ground because you know. Uh, Billy Napier's defense is 126th in line yards, 128th in stuff rate. But Miami of Ohio doesn't do that. They're pretty terrible themselves. They're outside the top 110 in all these advanced rushing categories. So I have a hard time seeing Miami get any points up on the board. Uh, I think Louisiana is going to be able to convert every time that they get down there. I don't think they have a problem moving the ball whatsoever. Uh, so for me, it's, it's Miami or nothing and, and might take it before it gets up to 14 and a half. Fair enough. Um, And that will cover all of the bowl games. But we do. And like I said, we're going to have a separate podcast and or live show uh, for the national championship going through uh, every possible angle on that game. We'll also hit a lot of props. You know, the two times a year I really bet props so I don't get cut off um, are college football championship and the Super Bowl. So we'll get into some of those as well. But we do also have another national championship on January 11th, I believe, uh, next Saturday between James Madison and North Dakota State. And some might be surprised to see that North Dakota State, who's dominated for right, what they want, 34, 35 straight games, dominated the FCS level for so long. Is actually an underdog here, which I actually agree with. You know, I do have some numbers on FCS, but I don't spend a lot of time when I, I don't put that much merit into them. You know, during the regular season, these are low limit bets. But my eye test and my numbers and everything I see, I think JMU is the better team. Um, This is a well-rounded team. They're excellent at every single phase of the game. I think JMU is winning this game. I think they opened as a one-point favorite or a one-point dog. They're a two-point favorite now um, at the shops that do have them open. I like them anything under a field goal. I think JMU is your national champion. I I absolutely agree. I'm going to be on JMU in this game. JMU returned everybody this season. They've shown it all year. They've won when they've had to. I think the Northern Iowa game you really kind of throw out. There was some really bad weather in Northern Iowa. Uh, you know, they didn't really have uh, any kind of offense to put up any points whatsoever. So I think, Jane, you really just kind of sat on the ball and was looking to get out and play the next week. Uh, you know, this is only the second time that these two teams have met in the final. Uh, so, the, you know, the, I completely agree with you that James Madison is the roster that's loaded. They have a ton of experience. This may be the last time that North Dakota State does not win the FCS championship for quite a while. They only had like seven returning starters. They're going to, you know, this is a brand new coach. Uh, uh, and so I, I think from here on out, after this game, uh, they're probably going to win uh, a lot of consecutive years. But, you know, I think the biggest X factor in this game is that JMU hired Maine's defensive coordinator. Maine was, had one of the best defenses in the nation in 2018, and that was just the biggest addition for the Dukes in the offseason. So uh, I think there's going to be a game plan there. And, and he's had success against NDSU before, at least, at least you know, <laughs> limiting them and what they've been in the versions of what they've been in the past. So I think the biggest thing uh, for James Madison uh, is their defensive coordinator and the fact they have a more experienced roster, uh, and that's going to be your national champion. I completely agree. The Dukes of James Madison down in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, I think that they win it all. Uh, So thanks for joining me, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to John Murray. 
Um, podcast listeners, all of our loyal listeners out there, I do have some prizes to give away. I'll announce them on the final college football show. We'll also then be transitioning into some college basketball. I cannot wait for that. More details to come on that front shortly. Uh, but thanks again, Colin. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, you know, Subscribe, unsubscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. You know the drill. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. If you don't bet on a bowl, does the bowl even exist? <laughs>